Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. some time ago to me, he said, I'm going to bring you to this church, I'm going to bring you the riches of the nations, and that's people, isn't it? They're his most precious possession, and so we're delighted to be able to welcome numerous people who are here who are just, you know, from different nations, and uh, particularly we want to welcome, please join with me, Bishop Oscar Muriu, and... And also to uh, welcome his wife, B, who's here as well, who's here as well. Thank you. Yeah, and we thought one of the best ways to do this when we discussed it was just that um, I'd ask one or two questions and Oscar would do the talking. So, so um, I, I don't know if you've brought anything specifically, but as I, was, as I was thinking it through, I thought, we were just talking before and you were talking about the churches that are being planted out of Nairobi Chapel. And one of the things that we have in New Thing, which is something that we share in common, is, is the idea Dave Ferguson talks about having a, a big dream and then a vivid vision. So you can have a great big dream, but then how do you make it vivid so that other people can, can grab hold of it? So uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for you and then we'll just uh, ask to, you to tell us about what the big dream is. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for Oscar. We thank you for the love of Jesus that lives inside of him. Hannah just said to me how when, uh, she, when he saw her uh, to, this evening, having only met her yesterday, she just saw this big, smiling, welcoming face. And it just reminded her that that's what the face of God is like to each one of us. So, Lord, we thank you that you have, have shown your favor to him. And, Lord, we, we just bless him tonight. And we, we thank you, that, Lord, in hearing from his heart, we're also going to hear from you. Amen. So, very welcome. Thank you, thank you, and good evening, everyone. Yeah, so I'm from Nairobi. I grew up uh, in Kenya, and uh, at the age of about 18 years, 19 years, I went off to India to study at the University of Delhi, and it was while I was in India, in my third year, my final year of university studies, I was studying for a Bachelor of Science in Zoology, um, that I came to know the Lord as my Lord and Savior, and almost immediately, uh, I just knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, um, to quit my zoology, to leave my dream career behind, and just to go into ministry and become a pastor, um, in the local church. And so I went back home and I trained to be a pastor and, and uh, was invited to um, revitalize a little Plymouth Brethren church in Nairobi that had just about 10 people left. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 26 years old by then. Uh, had done my undergraduate in theology, um, had no experience at all, had never led anything significant, and I went to this little church with no idea what I was going to do. Um, but the Lord gave me a prophetic word and a promise from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. 
where the prophet Isaiah talks about, you know, sing, O barren woman, ye who has never had a child, rejoice, for many will be the children of the barren woman, more than she of she who has been in labor. And we were that barren church, little church, you know, nobody knew we existed. Um, we were in the middle of the University of Nairobi. Uh, nobody recognized us. In fact, you know, when I talk to students, they'd say, but we thought that was a cult. And I'd ask, why? Why do you think it's a cult? And they say, well, churches always have a cross on them, but this, this place doesn't have a cross on it. And yes, the Plymouth Brethren stayed away from symbolism of crosses and those sorts of things. And so they thought it was a cult. And uh, God put us back on the map of Nairobi. And indeed, even more than that, um, he says in Isaiah, 54, the prophet's word is that you will dispossess nations. And uh, today, you know, um, we're trying to plant a church in every capital city of Africa. There are 54 countries, and we're in about 10 of them. Uh, we planted tons of churches around Kenya and East Africa, and we're trying to plant at least 30 churches off the continent of Africa. And so, we now have a church in Dubai, we have a church in Berlin, we have a church in London, here. Um, we have a church in Sydney, we're starting up a church in um, Auckland, we have a church in um, Christchurch, we've just started up a church in San Francisco and are going to Toronto and trying to plant churches in the furthermost parts of the world as the Bible calls us to do so in, in the book of, you know, Acts. And so, just a little, Plymouth Brethren Church that nobody knew that God has just blessed and multiplied. The vision was that within our first 20 years of existence, we would plant at least 300 churches. We're probably at number 250 now. And uh, yeah, that was a big dream. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> and what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> <laughs> um, the next portion, as I look at, I mean, Alan Hirsch, Dave Ferguson, I'm just thinking of these things. They talk about you have a, a big dream and a vivid vision. And then they talk about you need to find movement makers, that actually we can have all of these big dreams and ideas of wanting to make more impact. How do you go about, though, raising up uh, leaders in order to be able to, uh, and you know, people who, who come and be a part of all of these churches and actually mm -hmm. help them to to happen? What's the strategy? What's the way in which all of these different places have you, what have you, what have you done yeah. to be able to do I that? I think God can do that in many different ways. But for me, I will tell you, you know, just how God has brought that about among us as a church. Um, it was a light dawning um, upon me after about, I don't know, maybe about, I've been a pastor now for 30 years. And at about the 18th year or so, um, a passage in scripture that is so obvious and that you've read a hundred times over, God just opened it up. And it's Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, where, you know, Jesus looks out and he says, he looks out upon the people um, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest field. And you know, you ask many of pastors and they'll say, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the resources, the money is little. Give us the money and we'll get the job done, God. You know, that's what a lot of pastors' prayers are. 
Jesus looks and says, number one, the problem is not the harvest. Even here in England, people talk about England and the UK and Europe being a post-Christian country, a post-Christian, you know, uh, Europe and etc. And you know what, guys? I don't think God has a vocabulary post-Christian in his, you know, he doesn't know what post-Christian means. I mean, what are you saying when you say you're post-Christian? That I can't reach you if I want to reach you? You know, what, what does it mean to be post-Christian? I don't think God talks about post-Christian England or post-Christian UK. And uh, the problem is not the harvest. Even here in Manchester, no matter how hard people are, no matter how difficult they are to reach, the harvest in Manchester is abundant. And the reason is because every day God can see that woman who gets up in the morning and cries out to the God in heaven and says, please, if you exist, show yourself to me. Because I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what to do with my life and I will take my life. If there is a God in heaven, please reveal yourself to me. That broken person who says, is there nothing more to life than my addiction? Please, please, somebody help me. And God looks all over, you know, Manchester and all over England and all over Europe. And he can see hundreds of thousands of people who are crying for hope and crying for a light and crying for a different way, but they don't know where to look. Mm. And some of them would even say, well, I tried the church and it was a wonky church. You know, they, they were doing all sorts of funny things there and I thought I'd found, you know, hope and they were on to some, I don't know, funny tangent that didn't lead to hope. And I never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and I gave up on the church. But God sees him. And so the harvest is not the problem. And the problem isn't resources, even though as pastors we try, like to think that, you know, it's about the money. Give me the money and I can do anything. Just give me the money, God, and, you know, then we can really change, you know, Manchester if we had enough money and, you know, we could do a blitz here in Manchester and, you know, publicize on everything, every TV station, Sky Network and BBC and everything about, you know, some big crusade, bring all the world's best worship leaders. It's not about the money. He says the problem with the, with, with the work of the kingdom is a lack of laborers. That's what the problem is. And he says the answer begins with prayer. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send out his laborers into the harvest field. And I remember that truth dawning on me and realizing if we have laborers, churches get planted. And so my first and most important strategy as a minister of the gospel is to find and to raise up the laborers and it begins in prayer. So here's something we did, just as an example. We sat down as a pastoral team, and you know, we're a large church, and you know, we have quite a number of pastors, so I gathered everybody around a big conference table, and I said, you know, take a piece of paper, and I want you to write on that paper. In your pastoral care group, you know, you're in charge of the children, you're in charge of the younger teenagers, you're in charge of, you know, the older teenagers, you're in charge of young adults, you're in charge of the women's ministry, etc. I want you to write on that paper the people you think God could be or clearly is calling into ministry. Because the Bible says that God never does anything without first revealing it to his prophets. So you know, you know 
and you have seen them and they have come and bumped up against you and etc. You just never really gave it serious thought. So write down the names of those that you think God could be calling into ministry. And we had a, you know, 64 names written down. Even children as young as 12 years, you know, who say, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. Well, you don't take that, you know, um, as, as worthless. That could be prophetic. And you begin to pray about that child. And so 64 names. So we said, okay, guys, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over those names for a month, okay? And just ask the Lord, Lord, I sense this. Would you touch this person and would you confirm this if this is really you? And then after a month, let's go and talk with these people. You know, have a cup of coffee or give them a call or, you know, spend a little time with them and tell them, you know, we've been praying about people for ministry and your name is one of the names that God put on our heart. Could it be that God is calling you into ministry? And I don't know, but the Bible says that, you know, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. So if what I'm saying is of the Lord... It will resonate with your heart because God must already have been speaking to you. But if it's not of the Lord and it's just me imagining that you could be a pastor, well, let's go have a cup of coffee and have a good laugh. You know, imagine, eh? you know, Anthony would have been a pastor. Ha, 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 what a joke, okay? But, but, but if it is the Lord, then I want to challenge you to say yes to that quote. And I kid you not, Anthony, of the 64 we had, 48 confirmed that God had been working in their lives. But they were running. They were running away. They didn't take it seriously. They needed somebody. And you see this in Scripture. Almost everyone who was called into ministry in Scripture was an Elijah who went and tapped Elisha's shoulder. It was a Paul who went to a Timothy. Almost everyone in Scripture didn't get a personal individual call in the middle of nowhere. It was God used somebody else to come and confirm what he was calling this person to. And when we lose that ministry and don't do this, then many never come into their calling. But because we approached those 64, 48 of them said God had actually been talking to them about this. So they had made a commitment and never done anything about it. But God was calling them. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest field. And so a big part of my ministry became um, just looking out. We used to call, we, we started doing this now, and we call this list of names our hit list. You know, these are the people we are targeting in prayer for the sake of kingdom work. And uh, God just blessed it and blessed it and blessed it. And it became an important part of our ministry, looking for people that God is putting into prayer. And when you have those people, you can plant churches. You can plant many churches. So this evening... <laughs> Here tonight, if the Lord's tapping you on the shoulder, then we're going to pray for you at the end. If you feel that could be you, if you've been running, if you've been hiding, if you've been thinking, oh yeah, here I am, Lord, send somebody else. Yeah. Then um, we want to pray for you before the evening is done. Yeah? So that's just to get you worrying. And then from the worrying, praying can turn from worrying, okay? Even if it's just one person, a couple of people, a few people here, and you feel, you know what, I'm up for that, and I don't even know what up for it means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful. Thank you. So, um, you know, you're talking about young people there as well. Yeah, I know you've had a particular emphasis, haven't you, on reaching uh, younger yes. people and yes. calling out mm -hmm. kind of God's greatness in them. Could you explain a little bit more about what that works like for you? 
Okay, here's, here's what people don't know about uh, the continent of Africa, okay? We all use, a, I think it's called the uh, mercantile, the Peter Mercantile scale of the globe, okay? Now, the problem with the globe is it's like uh, a basketball. If you take a basketball and try and flatten it, you know, just press it down in the middle, cut it up in pieces and press it down in the middle and try and, you know, press it down at the ends. Well, what tends to happen is that you stretch the ends because there's not much material there, okay? And the, the middle in a basketball is all sort of wonky and wrapped up and etc. So you shrink that. Now, when you look at the map that you used for your, you know, high school years, the globe, um, the countries in the middle have been shrunk. And the countries like Greenland at the top of the world, so to say, have been expanded. Actually, the scale is completely wrong, okay? And when you look at Greenland on a flat, you know, Peter Mercantile scale, um, Greenland is huge and Africa is small. But actually, if you look at the square, you know, um, mileage of Greenland, it is as small as a country like Kenya. Even though on the map it looks as though it's as big as or double the size of the continent of Africa. Africa is the largest continent. It is four times as large as America. You can fit the whole of Europe and India and parts of China and etc. in Africa. But what's also not known is that Africa's population is the only growing population in the world today. You know, much of Europe is now in population decline. But Africa's growing. In fact, in the next 30 years, the population of Africa will double. And then in the next 50 years leading up to 2100, it will double again. By the year 2100, four out of every 10 people on earth will be African. So if you don't like Africans, guys, we're coming. <laughs> but for that reason also, Africa is, is the, you know, the fastest growing population and the fastest growing church in the world. In part because if you can't win them, breed them. Well, we're breeding them, you know, fast. And our numbers are growing. But, but um, what's not known about Africa is this. In the country of Kenya, 74.5% of our population is under the age of 30. The average age of the country of Kenya is 19.2 years. And we're one of the older countries on the continent. The average age of Nigeria is 17. Point, uh, I think it's six years. And the youngest country in Africa is probably Burundi whose average age of the population is 16 years. There are a bunch of teenagers in Burundi. That's the average age of the country. Everything in Africa is young. We're a very young population. And if you don't have young people in your church, then you really are, you know, getting ready to, you know, ship them and, you know, bury them. I, you know, they're just... You, the population is young. That's what the church has to be. Looking at the average age of the country, the, the church should represent that age. And, and so much of Africa is young. And so we, 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 of necessity, must, must, must relate with and reach young people in massive numbers because that's who our countries are. And that's who we are as a church also. Um. There's two things I remember uh, that really struck me. When I went to, last year I went to Viral, the conference, which was a great privilege to be there. And I remember um, 
not much embarrassed you, but I remember just hearing a great story from one of the, the pastors who was who got up and led it. And I think he's now leading the church in London. But he was a young person who was in the youth group at the church, and he'd gone away from God. And he he was, um, you know, packaged it all in. He talked about how he grew his hair and he put it into, um, like, Rastafarian dreadlocks and all of this. And, uh, and then he told the story of how he was at home one day, and then there was a knock at the door, and it was then Pastor Oscar who came and said, we need to talk. And talk to him about the Lord and talk to him about the call in his life and how he needed to um, you know, rise up and he had this opportunity and this was a turning point in his life and I just love that you know, the, the, not to let anybody go, but now that guy as I say is leading your church plant in London, he's, moved, he's come here which is wonderful, I also remember at the end of the Bible conference there was many people and the, the stories were just being told in brief as they stood along this stage, I don't know how many, there was a lot of them, they had these blazing torches, such a great picture as they were going to go and plant these churches in these different places, it was just this unforgettable sight and this sense of adventure as you were calling people into this, uh, these different ministries. And um, I just, just wonder, um, how do we... How do we, what's, the, what's a great way to actually challenge people? What is it that you would say? In terms of, I mean, I, I sometimes think that, that maybe in the West we've sort of made it like, you know, if you're not too busy, if you haven't got other things on, maybe you could try coming along to church. But I don't get that impression when I go to Nairobi Chapel and when I've had these connections. It's been more about a high call and high sacrifice. You know, where does that, where does that kind of come from? What's the... We sent a team to London and, uh, you know, we said of the young people, because, you know, we have a lot of young people who are preparing for ministry and uh, campus graduates and who feel the Lord is calling them into ministry, taking about 40 of those sorts of people every year out of the campus who feel God is calling them into ministry and they want an opportunity to be grown, you know, to uh, mature and then go out and be sent out and etc. And so went back to this group of people and said, guys, we need we need just four people to go to London that we're going to send. And these are you know people who are 22, 23, 24, 25 years old and want you to go and plant a church in London, okay? And we will give you a leader to go with you, but we want you to go and do the hard work of doing the missionaries on the ground to plant a church in London. And we're not trying to reach Africans and Kenyans in London. I mean, that's easy. Okay, we want to go and reach the people who are indigenous to that country. And so there's going to be a seven-year commitment. And in those seven years, raise up a workforce, hand it over to the local indigenous people of that you know, country, and then we exit after seven years. And so we want four of you to be part of the team who will go with the church planter. And we said, but there's, there's a cost we're going to ask of you, a commitment we're going to ask of you, three vows if you want to be one of these and want you to volunteer yourself. Number one, vow number one, is a, is a vow of obedience, okay? Because it's going to be hard. And there will be times when you're feeling discouraged and you feel, I want to give up, I want to throw the towel in, I just can't continue doing this. But we're calling you for the seven years that we're committing you to this, to make a vow of obedience, that you will fulfill the call of God on your life. It's not a vow of obedience to me. It's a vow of obedience to the call that God has placed on your life that for seven years you will labor in London and do the work of church planting. 
Number two is about poverty. We don't have the money to send you to London. We don't have the resources to take care of you in London. And you will go by faith and believe that God will open up a way for you. We just don't have the money. And I can tell you, you'll never get rich on this. And you probably will never drive. You probably will not own, you know, a scooter or anything. Um, you're going to walk a lot and uh, you're going to sleep on the floor. But you will do whatever it takes to be there, to be, you know, on site, to do whatever you need to do to plant that church. And there will be no money to make that possible. And so about poverty, you know, I will live poor if that's what it takes. But for seven years, I will deny myself for the sake of the church plant. And then the third is about chastity. We're sending you as young people. And Paul does say in the book of Corinthians that, you know, he was... You know, a wife has many troubles in this world. And I know you know that, you know, Anthony, you know. Um, but he also says that, you know, the man who has a wife is distracted. And so we want you to go with focus and for seven years, no girlfriends, no boyfriends, no relationship, no marriage, no kids. We want you for seven years to take a vow of singlehood and to do the work. After seven years, you're going to be all of 30 years old. You don't want to marry, you know, after that. But, you know, for seven years, commit yourself not to. I kid you not, Anthony, I think we had six people offered to take up that role. They're in London now, and they've been doing that work for the last uh, three years. They've still got another four years to go. And I think part of it is this. A lot of young people want to say to you and I as older leaders, then call me to something that is greater than myself. Dare me to go and sacrifice my life for the kingdom. Dare me to go to the difficult, hard places of the world and do the work of the kingdom. But the problem is today with all the, you know, safety requirements and when I was a kid, we used to get up in the morning and we'd go off into the, you know, into the unsettled areas around Nairobi and there were lions and there were leopards and there were cheetahs and there were zebras and we'd be chasing giraffes and those sorts of things. You know, there were no boundaries and fences or anything. We'd go swimming in the rivers, you know, and we didn't know there were crocodiles around. We just, it was just growing up, you know. But now, every little pool of water has to have a fence around it. Every building has to have fire safety and has to have, you know, all sorts of things. And we've coddled people to the place where they're so safe, they're dead bored. And our young people, there is no risk anymore. Our young people, you know, they're so safe that they go and do the dumbest extreme sports, risk their lives because they want the challenge of feeling the adrenaline flow in their body. But there is no opportunity in the church for that. You know, we send them on short-term missions, but they must be covered with medical insurance, and they must, you know, we need to chaperone them, and the government needs to okay the country we're sending them to, and, you know, there's nothing anymore. There's no risk, there's no challenge, there's no adventure. But you say to an 18-year-old, I want to send you to, you know, to New Zealand to go and plant a church there. They'll say, when? But we never do that today, oh God forbid, because we might get sued by, you know, whoever. And we need to be sure that we don't get sued. And, and we've taken the sense of sacrifice and adventure out of the core of God into kingdom work. And, and young people don't like that speech. And so they are out doing all sorts of extreme sports and the dumbest things, you know, jumping off bridges. You hero, I mean, I've never done a bungee jump, but it's, one, it's on my bucket list. 
before I die, I will do one, okay? But uh, did you hear, I think it was last year, where uh, kids were swallowing these um, soap uh, washing machine little, what do you call them? Yeah, did, did you hear of that? I read of a kid in Australia who swallowed, uh, I think it was a gecko lizard, because somebody dared him to do that. And it really messed him up and he passed away. I mean, they do these dumb things because they're saying, dare me. Yeah. So why can't we dare them with kingdom work? You know, go to Mongolia and, and, and lead a hundred people to Christ. And, you know, <laughs> but we're, they're dead born in our churches. Amen. Come <laughs> So one of the reasons, I mean, one of the main reasons that we're doing launch is because of a conversation that I had with Oscar when I was out in, um, I think he was in it when I went to Nairobi, because we're part of this thing called New Thing, when not everybody here knows what that's about, and sometimes I might get up and talk about New Thing, um, but we were, you know, early on, I remember having conversations, we went out, we prayed together, uh, one, I, my, my kind of map of where it was that I was thinking God might use me, it was pretty easy, I could draw Manchester and a little circle around that for the M60 and then maybe we'd, we'd plant churches around the area and maybe one day we'd be daring and go to darkest Liverpool or somewhere. But um, then it was like you get in connection with Oscar and we end, he ended up drawing, he's actually very good at drawing, he drew a, a map of the world and then starts apportioning places. And he said, so Dave and John Ferguson, you're going to do North America. And this is how many, go away and pray how many churches you can help to get planted. And then there's a guy, another guy, Jeff, you're, you're going to go and plant churches there. And then how many churches are you going to, and then he looks at me and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we ended up, you know, I kind of, I went, I gave a number and it was like, that's rubbish, go back and pray about it. <laughs> So I came back <laughs> later on with a bigger number and realized actually a while that these, you know, like if we're talking about helping to plant 500 churches across Western Europe, they can't all be ivy. Yeah. You know, the multiplication has to go beyond addition of our churches. And so, you know, the, the glorious thing for me actually is that the Lord is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so I remember saying after that, not long afterwards, just saying, okay, so how do I even start? One of the things that he said was, well, we do this conference called Viral. And it's like, if you're in the, in the jungle, if you want the animals to come, you go to the waterhole. And if there isn't a waterhole, you dig a waterhole. And all the, they sniff the water and they come for that. And that's what launch has been in these last few years. It's just gathering people. And there's people here from different nations who are like sensing that God's up to something bigger in the nations. And uh, could you just tell me about the value of new thing for you, of what it is to belong to um, something that's, that's effectively, in that sense, even bigger than Africa, mm. because it's something that the Lord's doing in the nations. Many times when God begins to do a new work, you see it popping up in different places that are completely unrelated. You know, same thing happening somewhere in the Pacific Islands that is happening in northern, you know, England. And there's no connection, there's no relationship except that the Spirit of God is triggering these things off around the world and they look the same. And I think that's what new thing is, that when we first ever sat together, what we saw God doing in parts of North America were the same things that he was doing in Europe, were the same things that he was doing in, you know, Asia, same things that he was doing in Africa and etc. 
and we took a map of the world and divided it into 10 affinity groups, you know, English-speaking North America and Spanish-speaking Central and South America. And then there was, you know, um, Black Africa, which is the Sub-Saharan Africa. And then there was the Middle East, which is, you know, one affinity group. Um, the people of North Africa affiliate more with the Middle East than they do with Black Africa. And so, you know, it's one affinity group. There's Europe that makes up an affinity group. Then there's the Baltic nations and et cetera, et cetera. And you do 10 of these and say, I bet you God is working in these different places the same way. And he's working here um, in England, you being an example of that, in the same way that he's working in Chicago with Dave Ferguson, in the same way that he's working in India with R.J. Lal, in the same way that he's working with Nairobi Chapel in Africa, and many other churches. And we said, why don't we gather together? And instead of working isolated in our regions, begin to share and benefit and cross-pollinate in a way that enables us to become stronger because we're holding hands and we're together doing the work of God. There are things that God is doing here in Europe that we need to learn about in Africa. And there are things that are happening there that need to be learned about here. And together we're stronger. And so the vision of, of New Thing was God is doing a new thing. And instead of trying to you know sit down together and say, okay, Anthony, I need to know your theology on you know demonology and I need to know your theology on Christology, and I need to know your theology on end times, and let's see whether we can all take the same boxes and say, I fully agree with you, and therefore we can be partners. It's very, very difficult for, for us to, you know, um, agree together on every theological point that we as theologians have, you know, studied and refined and understood. It is much easier for us to partner together around mission. And so we said, let's partner around mission. Plant churches around the world and help each other do this. And we don't need to own them, but they'll be for the glory of God. Let's partner around missions. And when we get to heaven, we can check out each other as to whether, you know, how many angels dance on, the, on a pinhead. That was actually a historical debate in the church about 600 years ago. How many angels can dance on the top of a pinhead? I mean, you know, talk about ground-shaking, world-changing theological debates, okay? We can, we can talk about that for eternity in heaven, but for now, let's plant churches. And that's what New Thing is about. And we said, we're going to share four things. We're going to share relationships. We're going to share resources. We're going to share residents, people who are being trained up, you know, to go and do this work. And so send them to Africa, and we'll teach them what we can send them over to the Baltic nations and they can learn and then they can go to a different region of the world and etc etc and what was the fourth R? I can't remember pardon relationships resources re residence and reproduction yeah, those would be the four values that would hold together so that's what new thing is about we're believing God for a new thing amen isn't that more exciting than just being in church? <laughs> just to be part of something like that. Now, one really quick case study, and then we're going to get the worship band up again, and we're going to call people forward for prayer if you're feeling in some way there's a, there's a step up in your call, and it could be specifically you could talk to us around church plant leadership for the future because we're always up for those kind of conversations. We're sitting on the front row here is Elisha, who's from Uganda. I met him at Viral, in Kenya because God just connects people 
And um, so we had a conversation, and then I said to him, uh, oh, Uganda, I have a friend in Uganda. His name is John Bunjo. John Bunjo's at the back there. <laughs> Hello, John. <laughs> and John Bunjo, uh, the reason I know John is because my friend Isaac, who's sitting next to him, is a pastor in Manchester. And so, you know, it's like God goes, and draws these dots to dot thing. And Elisha says, oh, John, he's my father. So, I don't know. They don't look like each other that much, but there's a spiritual fathering going on because John's a real mighty man of God in Uganda who's leading many churches and networks and also loves our city and comes to pray for it. But then Elisha, who viral, gets connected to New Thing and ends up doing one of the coaching things that we have going on New Thing, which is called Catalyst Communities. So we've done our own version of it here and had churches planted from, as a result of that. But then Elisha, please come up. Can we welcome Elisha? Yeah. Just, just really, really briefly, could you just tell us how it worked for you that to do the Catalyst community from the, the number of churches that you were thinking that you might get planted where you are in Uganda to how that worked to how many churches since then that you're now looking to plant, please. Thank you so much. Um, I'm honored to say this. Praise the Lord. Um, when I met the new thing, um, first of all, I had admired uh, Pastor Oscar communication about Matthew chapter 9 and talking about the, 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 the need for laborers. And personally, I had, uh, uh, I, I had gone to plant a church in southwestern Uganda, and I had gone to plant one church, and the churches were multiplying without my permission. And I said, Lord, I, it seems you have called us to plant churches. And when I discovered, I began yearning and said, Lord, I want to connect with the people who have passion to plant churches. That's when I, I got a CD. I said, Lord, I want to connect with this man. And finally, I connected with a new thing. And we had 34 churches. And uh, when uh, they came to our place, and then I realized churches must be planted intentionally. That was 2016, and then we had 34 churches, and now last Sunday, we launched the church for 60, 60 churches now. We are having 60 churches through, uh, through this, but then we had to organize ourselves, the 34 churches, and we had to uh, get groups uh, groups of seven, 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 and we call them movements, you know, uh, those are the Catalyst community, but then they are, we have formed them, we are making them into uh, church planting movements. So it's now no longer me launching out, but these groups go out and plant churches, plant churches, plant churches, plant churches. So whenever we see a village, whenever we see a town, whenever we see three people, we see church planting. So we are multiplying at a terrific speed through this new thing. And so, thank you. So, from 34 churches in 2016 to now 60. 60. How cool is that? Okay, so um, would you perhaps pray for us and then we're going to get the kid band come back up? We're just going to sing one more song. And during that time, if you won't feel that God's been burning something inside of you and you're not even sure what it is, 
necessarily, but there's more. There's a stepping up. There's a call into the future that's bigger than you might have thought. And then we'd love to invite you and just pray with you before we conclude. Yeah, I, I don't know what your state uh, mental position on women in ministry and services, but since you've given me the mic, I'm going to do my thing. Yes. And you can't have the mic back until I'm done. And so I'm going to invite my wife to come forward. Uh, she's a prayer warrior. And And could I ask us all to rise to our feet and just take a moment to pray and pray that God would stir a new wind among us, a new planting of his work wherever we are, whether it's in our businesses or our places of employment, maybe even in our schools, or maybe even in churches in our communities, and pray that God would begin something beautiful and new here, even as he's doing already in different parts of England and in different parts of Europe, would you lead us in prayer? Father, what a privilege to be in your presence this night. We acknowledge your hand of grace over us. We thank you for allowing us to gather today and for allowing us to express our love for you. But truly, we are here because you first loved us with an unconditional love an eternal love that will never change. And somehow, in your scheme of things, even though you could reach out and touch everyone in this world, you have said you would do it through us as your people, through the church. And so, Lord, as we listen to how you have been at work in very small parts of the whole global church family and movement, we acknowledge that you are working in an awesome and wonderful way. We are comforted this evening that you know each one of us, without exception by name, that you've drawn us to yourself and purpose to use our lives. And so even as we ask for individuals to come forward, in Christ you've already called us all and commissioned us and sent us out to share the good news. And so we want to pray for those who are here tonight and ask that you would truly do a new thing that you'd give us an urgency we never had before, that you'd give us compassion for the world that we've never had before, that you'd encourage us and remove every obstacle that stands in the way that keeps us from standing up and saying how much we love you and letting others know how much you love them. That's what the gospel is about. So may there be a release and a new thing done within this fellowship, within this church, within this uh, connection of people who love you. That, Lord, we will see our neighbors, that we will see our workmates, that we will see the, the person who sells us a newspaper, that you would see our extended family in a new way and have a renewed courage. We remember John 4, where the woman of the world said simply, could this be him? Come and see that you'd give us a courage to invite people to come to you. May your Holy Spirit have his way as he uses us to bring people to himself. May there be the real fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives as we just live for you and love you. So we do pray. Thank you for this church that is committed to pursuing you and being a part of the Great Commission. Bless them and allow them to know in a fresh and deeper way how you could use them. Thank you for this wonderful idea, Pastor Anthony and others around him and with him who have said, let us bring God's people together.
so that they can be encouraged to shout out the love of God and to share it. Thank you that that's already been happening, but we are praying for more. We are praying that in a new way, Lord, you'd enable us to share your love. And thank you that your word is true, that anyone whosoever would come to you would know you. And you tell us in Romans, how would they know if they've not heard? Release us as your people to tell. Release us as your people to tell through our words, through our lives, through the community lives that we share. Enable us, Lord. So may your fresh anointing be upon us as we trust you to use us to share the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, even now, you're stirring, stirring hearts. There is no question you have touched hearts today. And we ask that they would respond to you in obedience and in surrender with courage and the humility that says, I don't know how it gets done, but here I am, Lord. Use me and send me. We ask that the Holy Spirit would give a mighty release of people to respond to him without fear and hesitation. We know you will answer beyond what we can think or ask today. We know you'll answer according to your greatness and power and love. And so we pray that you fulfill these things and much more because you have prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we bow and worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.